I'm going to read a passage of Scripture that I bet you have heard a portion of this often, perhaps, if you've grown up around the church, and even if you're relatively new to the church. You may have heard this passage thrown at you, or used with you, or just in passing. Uh, but I want to read it in context so that you can hear um, what this passage is referring to and what it's talking about. Uh, look with me in chapter uh, 10 of Hebrews, verse 19. First 18 verses of this chapter are talking about Christ's sacrifice being once for all. That no longer do we need to week after week, year after year rather, come and, and bring the slaughtering of rams and bulls and goats for assorted sins, but rather that Jesus is our once for all perfect sacrifice. That's what's been talked about for the first 18 verses. Okay? Now look with me at verse 19. Verse 19 says this, Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Why do we have confidence to enter the holy places? Why can we now be in the very presence of God, as it were? Why is the veil torn? Because of all that's been talked about in the first 18 verses. Okay? It's Jesus' sacrifice for sin. Verse 20. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, that's Jesus... Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We sing that song quite often called Draw Near. Verse 23 says this, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Now here's the part I bet you've heard before. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. This morning I'm going to talk to you. We're taking a two-week excursion into church membership. And I'm going to share a little bit of the history of our church. You're going to hear why we're rolling it out now. And I hope we begin to think biblically about this. But I want you to see from this passage, here's what I heard once in a while growing up. Every other week, I went to church. On the off weeks, I watched cartoons. That was my Sunday morning. That was my growing up. I lived in two different worlds in that sense. So never on the cartoon week did I hear this passage said. But once in a while, on the church week, I'd be like, Oh, I'm too tired. I don't want to go to church. Church is boring. And here's what I would sometimes hear. We're not to forsake. That must have been an older translation. We're not to forsake meeting together, as is the habit of some. Now, you don't want to be the habit of some, do you? And I'm like, oh, I guess not. And so I'd go to church, right? There was a verse. I'm like, I can't argue with that. That's God's word. So, so you may have heard this passage, and sometimes people grab a passage like that, and um, lovingly, sometimes there's lovingly being beat up, right? And sometimes there's, there's viciously being beat up with it. But you may have been beat over the head with that passage before. Sometimes you wonder, is that really in context? You ought to find that passage and see what it says. Guess what that's talking about? It's talking about what it's used for on you. It's talking about coming to church, meeting together, being a church. Let me just show you from these few verses a picture of the modern church, okay? We have regeneration or new birth or new believers because of faith in Jesus Christ. That's a personal thing. That's in the first few verses. Then look at verse 22, drawing near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And then verse 23, listen to this and see if this doesn't sound like holding to the doctrines, holding to beliefs. Why should a church have a a doctrinal statement? Here it is. Verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. 
That's a doctrinal statement. Now let me read on. Verse 24. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Can that happen individually? It can on some level, right? There's email, there's Facebook, there's groups. We can do this virtually on some level. But isn't it different being face-to-face? There is. There's a big difference. And then it says this, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as the day, as you see the day drawing near. One of the things that I can't possibly accomplish uh, as your pastor, as a Christian, as an, as an individual, is I cannot be singing, worshiping with the people of God that, that are worshiping the same Jesus I am anywhere else but when I come on Sunday mornings for this hour and, and a half with you. And that's a really powerful thing. I drove this morning. My daughter and I were driving to church. It's a short drive, uh, so we have short conversations. But I said, I'm just in my Jeep. It feels good outside. I said, man, it's a good day. To, it's, it's, it's just a good day to be going to church. And she goes, yeah. I'm all, well, it's Sunday. I mean, so that's a good day to be going to church. But what I meant was, it's so good to get to come and be with the people of God. And today, what I want to roll out to you is I want to roll out a biblical picture of what this verse is talking about. What does it mean to not neglect meeting together? And uh, we're, going to take, we're going to take two weeks to kind of look at this. I want you to do something for me. I want you to reach in your pocket right now and pull out a wallet or somewhere where you keep cards. Now, I know some of you are like, man, he's just bold. He's just already having us pull out our wallets. It's not for that. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull out a card where you're a member. I happen to, I happen to be a member of Costco, Okay. That's a good thing. Yeah, when you have seven kids, that's a great place. I'm not even talking about buying stuff, the free samples. We just go there for dinner once a week. We're like, kids, as much as you want. So they're like, I don't like the energy drink sample. I'm like, that's all we got. Drink up. If you work at Costco, I apologize. So I want you to have a card in your hand, okay? And and I want you to, Here's my guess. My guess is that all of you have some sort of a card in your hand right now, and it wasn't that hard to find something that says you're a member to something. It can be a zoo membership, uh, a gym membership, Costco, library card, whatever, okay? You got it? If you have it, Daniel, that's a good idea. Just hold your, hold your card up for a second. Let me see. We are paying attention. I like yours, the, the, the mini card. That's a new phenomenon that I'm really excited about. Anyone holding up an iPhone? Okay, we've got Starbucks cards on the iPhone now. Check it out. It's really cool. Kind of nerdy. Ben's got two. He's like, I'm a member of two things. All right, put them down. Before you get your license, you go to Malibu Grand Prix in junior high, and you carry it around like it's your driver's license, and you feel really cool. That was me. Now, here's what's interesting. Uh, as, you, as you have this card in your hand, you're thinking about this for a second. Let me just, let me just tell you, there is, some, there is some membership training that has gone on with the American psyche and all these cards and things that we have. Here's, here's what I would venture to guess. That when, when someone invites you to be a member, hey, would you like to sign up for this? I'm literally new to the neighborhood not long ago, and I'm, I'm buying something at CVS, and I just wanted some shampoo, and they wanted me to become a member of CVS. Now, what's the first question you ask? What's the first thing that, that comes into you when, yeah, I, two things maybe. What's in it for me, right? I want to know the benefits. And then, what's it going to cost me, Right? And so, uh, and so they give their little spiel, usually. And sometimes you, you have to weigh bit, bit between, is it even worth the time to give them my email, my name, and my phone number, even though it's going to be 30 seconds according to them, or am I just going to, you know, eat the cost on the shampoo and get out of there without becoming a member of something else, right? 
And then you think of your inbox, and you're like, man, do I really want more mail from someone and have to go unsubscribe to them next week? So we get trained in a way, I think, even seeing uh, on, on a paper as you walk into church, the word church membership, I think right away I am geared to say, why, what's the benefit, and what's it going to benefit me? What's it going to cost me, I should say? What's the benefit? What's the cost? They've trained us to ask that, and in most cases, that's not really a terrible thing. But let me just say this, that church membership has some similarities to all these other memberships that we talk about, think about, chew on, but there's also some, some definite differences. I want you to flip now over in your Bibles to the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. Go to Acts chapter 2. If you've read through the Bible, even casually, you probably know that the book of Acts is a book about the early church. Jesus ascends back to heaven after the resurrection, and the book of Acts picks up the story after Jesus' ascension. And says, what does it look like for these transformed men and women, this new community in faith, to march forward with this mission that Jesus has left them on? And that's really what the book of Acts is about. The day of Pentecost comes. And, uh, and the Holy Spirit arrives and things begin to happen. Let's just pick it up. Uh, Acts chapter 2 um, and starting in verse 41. Peter has just given a sermon. He's just preached a lengthy sermon and it's not a cute self-help sermon. I promise you that. Go read the rest of the book of uh, chapter 2 of Acts sometime. It's very penetrating. It's calling people out of their sin. His basic message is repent. You killed God. That's essentially what they're telling him. And, uh, and some people in the Bible, when they preach that message, got killed for it. Um, here's a fascinating thing that happens after the day of Pentecost, is that people's hearts were cut to the quick, and they said, what must we do? They knew instinctively there ought to be application to a sermon. We ought to do something about that. And so Peter tells them, and he shares the gospel with them. And verse 41 says this, So those who receive the word... There were those who didn't receive the word that day. A lot of people heard it. Some received the word, uh, were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let me throw a few questions out that this should raise for us. One is this. We see a normative process of preaching going on, of the gospel going forth, of people responding to it, of people receiving the word. After they receive the word, they're baptized. Do you see all this? This is, a, this is a normative thing that I could point to time and again, not only in the book of Acts, but certainly in the book of Acts. And then we have some questions. Who is the they that are doing the devoting? So it says that they were added that day, 3,000 souls. Added to what? is a question that's there. Another thing is it says in the next verse, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Who were the they? 
it would seem from the text that it's those who received the word and were baptized, right? It's not that everyone devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Secondly, who, specific, who specifically is teaching and leading them? What made them qualified to do so? Those are good questions to ask from this text. Finally, what is the fellowship that they added to? And how is this transferable as the way, which is what this was called in the early days of the church, as it began to grow and expand and move out across the countryside? I think as we talk about church membership, um, I, I think that there's a general uh, population of people in the church, people I've talked to, Christians I've talked to, that hear the word membership, and their response to it is kind of like this. Meh. It's just kind of... It's just kind of a non-issue. They're not super excited about it. They're not super passionate about it one way or the other. Like there's a vast majority of people who have just kind of had it in there. You're about as excited for it in some way as your Costco card. You're like, yeah, when I need it, I get there, I flash it, I'm in. But, but it's not a huge, huge part of my life. Uh, there's a smaller percentage, I think, who, are, um, who have some history with church membership. And it's a little bit like those who write about a car review or a product review. I tend to not write unless I'm so overly excited about it. I'm like, people have to know what a great product this is. Or I'm totally mad about it and I'm like, this is a piece of junk. Don't ever buy this. So a lot of times you'll see a five rating and a one rating when you're doing reviews, you know. Um, here's here's, a, here's a, a, a sampling and maybe you fit into one of these. Some are overtly against church membership and when you walked in and you saw church membership something on the back of your of your neck kind of bristled a little bit and you're like oh man here's my hunch my hunch is that you have been a part of a very dysfunctional church family that you have seen things in church membership you have seen this this used in such a way that it has just brought a negative reaction and you can almost taste it the second you bring up church membership and it's just there and it's, you can't even control it. It's just, it's just there. Um, when I went and interviewed, uh, I've only been at three churches in my life uh, and when I went and interviewed at Valley Church uh, from my previous church, I went and during the interview process I did something that you shouldn't do in a church interview uh, according to rules, I'm sure, but I didn't read the rules. And that is this. I was talking with them, and I really sensed the Holy Spirit amongst these men who were interviewing me. And I really sensed a lot of things about this church that were very, very attractive to me. Um, and I told them, I said, guys, listen, um, I have been a part of a church for, you know, for my growing up years. And I, with that, have had tons of great things instilled in me. I'm thankful for my life of what, what was brought into me with that. However, there was also some dysfunction. And so I looked around at this group of, of elders who would be my boss if they choose to hire me after this statement. I looked at them and I said, I want you to know right now, I don't trust any one of you. <laughs> now, we've, mind you, we've had some tearful, prayerful hours of interview. We're nearing the end. One way or the other. And, um, and I said, I don't trust any one of you, but here's what I long to do. I long to see you guys function over me as a ruling elder board in a biblical way where it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I, will, I am hungry to come under the leadership of godly men who are, who are going to lead the way that the Bible says you're to lead. And, um, and I'm just distrustful. I, know that I just want to be up front with you. I want to tell you right now, I may struggle with this for years. 
So if I come off in this way or that way, it's not an excuse for my sin, but you call it out of me. You be watching for this in me. Now, if you still want me, here's my email. Call me. It wasn't quite that brash, but, but I, I wanted to be honest. I wanted to lay them out. And here's what I was doing. I was telling them in advance my dysfunction. I have inherited some dysfunction, and God is growing me in it, but it's right there on the surface, and, and that's, that, that could be a problem. If you need someone that you can't grow past that, then maybe I'm not the guy for you. And let's just figure that out now, rather than uproot and move and do the, and do the whole welcome you know, new pastor, and then we'll see you in 13 months, have your goodbye party. So here's, here's my guess, is that many of you, if we could just have kind of a confessional time, would say, that's me. You want to talk about church membership? I'll just tell you, I hate it. And here's why. When new people come to our church, sometimes here's what happens. Sometimes people talk and, and this and that. But once in a while, people immediately ask early on, they say something like this. Hey, how do you handle the finances? How do you make sure that the finances are being held well? You know what I can guess? I can guess that they've been in a church that what? Failed in the area of finances. Someone else comes and says, how do you ensure, uh, Dave, you're on a staff. Who's watching out for your life? How do you ensure that, that Ben, that his heart is good with Jesus? That, that how do you ensure that, that he's being held accountable to be the, the kind of man that, that, that he's supposed to be as, as our pastor? You, you, know, you know where they've probably been hurt? If that's the first thing that comes up, there's been moral failure in front of the, in front of the church. So you can almost begin to hear some of that, right? As you just think through it. So some are, are overtly and, uh, against it. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I would imagine it to be devastating. Uh, we got amazing news, by the way. We had an, a great uh, men's prayer time um, lamenting. We were just lamenting as men. And I don't, know if you, I don't know if you took the challenge of last week's sermon notes, but the, the, the challenge was this, to lament to God the way that the Psalms do. Don't pretty it up. Don't be polite about it. Just lament to him. What I lamented to God about was his timing. I said, God, I know in my heart of hearts your timing's perfect, but I want my kids home right now from Ethiopia. I don't want them in a prison somewhere halfway around the world being cared for at a fraction of what they could be cared for in a family. And we just lamented as men. I was really proud of our guys because um, uh, we, we did that. I hope it felt a little awkward. I hope you grew in that a little bit. Two hours after leaving men's group, we got word that Kaya, our daughter, is cleared to be taken home from Ethiopia. So, um, so we, are, we are just overjoyed. Uh, we've been wiped out from a first week of school, and we could not sleep. It's 1030 at night. Uh, the first people I let know was my men's group. I just said, man, my men's group has to know um, what an awesome answer to prayer this is, and what a, and what a cool thing that is. Um, man, I lost train of thought, and I'm thinking about Ethiopia. Here's where I was going. In a, in a few, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a baby in our home again. And we're going to give that baby a bath. And uh, something I've never, ever done and don't intend to do, but I would imagine to be devastating, would be to throw <clears throat> the baby out with the bath water. Uh, you've heard that expression, haven't you? Uh, anyone ever do that? <laughs> just, you need counseling. It's just bad. <laughs> but that picture, isn't that a terrible picture? You're chucking the bathwater out the window, and there goes the baby, bouncing on his head, you know, or her head. And, and I think for those of you who are overtly against church membership, 
Can I suggest to you that you are perhaps throwing out the baby with the bathwater by saying, never again, never again will I open myself up to that kind of hurt. Even though there's been dysfunction in your past, even though it's not been handled perfectly in your past, would you open up to a biblical mandate and walk as the Lord would lead you and not throw the baby out with the bathwater? Here's the opposite end of that extreme. The opposite end is that there is an overemphasis on membership. There are some people who say, I cannot plug into this church. I cannot do ministry unless my name is on a spreadsheet somewhere. I need to have filled out a card. Give me a card or else I can't even pray with you folks. That's an overemphasis on membership. I'll tell you a whole branch of, uh, of churches that, that I believe teach, sometimes explicitly, sometimes implicitly, that uh, and, and a... Uh, an overemphasis, according to the Bible, uh, on, on church membership, and that is the Catholic teaching. Most branches of the Catholic Church say something to this effect, that um, they, they offer people this hope. You were born in the church, you were, you were sprinkled as a baby, you were confirmed in that church, you must be married in that church, and that one day you'll die in that church. And the hope is this, because you were a member of that church, you're good with God. And you're going to heaven. Your name is on that roll, and so that's the one that counts for eternity. That is a false hope. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Know this verse. It says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. It's the man Christ Jesus. So there's an overemphasis and there's someone being overtly against it. I think many people in this room are just in the middle somewhere. Here's my prayers. What I've been praying about leading up to this is that we would think biblically. Now you might look at me and say, yeah, but Dave, church membership is not in the Bible. Did you know that's true? That is true. I would say to that though, I'd say yes and no to that. I would say you're right, it's not in the Bible, but you also won't find the word Trinity, you won't find atheism, you won't find the word incarnation, you won't find the word Bible in the Bible. And yet all of those words are important and common and understood in our vernacular and and how we talk and what we think about. So although the, the, the idea of church membership isn't in there, all I would say to that is this. I would say if the concept is there, though, and there's not explicit instructions, then that means God's allowed a lot of freedom for how this can look. But let me pose to you that over this week and next week, and hopefully in your own study, that you will see that actually church membership, I would argue, is in almost every chapter of the Bible. As I read through, I've been thinking on this for several years now. As I've been reading through the Bible, I see time and again the concept of church membership over and over. We're going to give just the highlights in, uh, in the next couple of weeks. A brief history. November uh, 6th of 2006 was our very first public service in this building um, as Neighborhood Bible Church. This building has been here for something like 50 years. And um, God did this incredible work, and we started a brand new church, uh, really from the formation of of, uh, of, of two bodies of believers, and on our first Sunday, I remember standing right over, or sitting right over here where Andrew was sitting, and I was sitting next to one of the elders at the former church, at the prior church, and he looked at me and said, do you know most of these people? I said, very few of them. There were a couple from the launch team that came. I said, how about you? He said, very few of them. I said, well, praise God. It's an answer to prayer. 
And we just had, we had many people come and many here who are here today that have really been here since day one. And God raised up something new for Neighborhood Bible Church. We started on purpose without a couple of things. We started without church membership. Let me tell you why we started without church membership. Valley Church who planted us is 50-year-old church and they have church membership. They had many, many things that we have stood on their shoulders and been blessed to spring forward from, and we're thankful to them. We have a great relationship with them to this day. However, what we didn't want to do was take church membership from an existing church and just overlay it on this new body like a shell without thinking it through and without saying, is this really what we want to do? At every turn, what, uh, what a small group of us kept doing was this. Man, we have an opportunity here with a, a white slate. There's no traditions. We get to start afresh with just the, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. So would we start off a church that way if, if we were just looking at the Bible and just had the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us? And you know what didn't make the cut? Several things didn't make the cut. Sunday school initially didn't make the cut. A youth group did not make the cut. We did not start with any kind of youth ministry. We did not start with church membership. So we, we intentionally began because we didn't want to do this. We didn't want... We didn't want church membership to be a shell without any of the communion we just sang about, without any of the meaning woven into it. All of us who were kind of a part of the launch team, I think had been a part of church memberships where it was about as, as meaningful to us as a Costco card. And we thought, well, let's, let's move forward and let's God lead us in this so that we can do it in a way that honors Him. What we have had up to this point is this. Regular attenders, irregular attenders, irregular people, no, wait, um, sorry, let me start over. Regular attenders, irregular attenders, and non-attenders. That's it. There's really three options. Um, you know, some people have gotten upset with, you know, they're like, I-, I can't be a member. I'm like, I'm a regular attender, okay? I've been here since day one. I'm considered a regular attender. So don't feel bad that you're not a member. We don't have it yet. There were, there were no members. Uh, this morning, um, after months and months, really, of the elders working on this, praying through this, um, meeting with others on this, we are rolling out to you um, membership. And we are so excited about it. The first step in all of this is just to teach on it. It's just to look at the Bible and say, what does the Bible have to, to say about membership? Let me share with you our heart a little bit. Our heart is this, as elders, as leaders of this church, our heart is this, we love you. When I see Jesus, he, he did a lot of things, but, but one general pattern, watch for this as you read the Gospels. When someone came to him proud, what did he offer them? He offered them law. But when someone came to them humbled, And in need, he offered them grace. You read it. Law to the proud, grace to the humble. And time and again, Jesus drew his followers, those who were really seeking after him, those who were his disciples, with more and more life and spirit and freedom, rather than more and more law. Could he have thrown law at them? It would have been 100% true, and he would have been 100% just as the judge to demand law from them. But he woos people. He pulls people who are genuinely seeking with more life and spirit and freedom. So here's our heart. We want you to pursue membership, not for duty, but out of a love for Jesus. We want you to pursue membership, not because we can come and mandate it and say, look, I'll show you from the scriptures. You need to be a member. I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to be drawn in by duty, but rather out of a a deep love for Jesus. Not only do we love you, but far more importantly... We love Jesus. And as leaders, we are wanting to model to you as our church members, non-members yet, as uh, church regular attenders, 
what we're, what we're asking you to do. We're asking you to do something that, that we're wanting to model and do, and that is to, to love Jesus. So that begs the question, how do you tangibly love Jesus? Just write down John 14, 15 in your notes. John 14, 15 says this, Jesus talking. If you love me, okay, here's a test. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. There it is. How do you tangibly love Jesus? How do you know? How can you look at your own heart when your heart condemns you? You look at it and say, man, I'm, I'm following the commands of Jesus. I love Jesus. That's an objective fruit of the new life that's in a believer. So that's how we tangibly love Jesus. How do, we, how do we be like Jesus? I would put it this way. Get in and build up the church. You want to be like Jesus? Get in a church and build that church up. That's how you, get, that's how you be like Jesus. Just write these down. I'm going to read them quickly. They won't be on your screen. Ephesians 5.25. Ephesians 5.25 um, is really a, a passage to husbands. But it's a beautiful picture. I did a wedding yesterday um, and, and I used this text talking about how are husbands to love their wives. Because guess what, husbands? We could come up with all kinds of descriptions. I love her best by watching lots of football. Wrong. That's not how you do it. That is not true. The Bible knows we would have gone that route, so instead the Bible tells us. And the picture the Bible offers to us is that of Jesus Christ loving his bride, the church. How does he do it? He loves her sacrificially. He loves her by providing for her, by by making her safe, by being attentive to her, all these different things. But Ephesians 5.25 says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus loves the church. Do likewise. Acts 20.28. It's being addressed to elders and it says this, Care for the church of God, which he, that would be Jesus, obtained with his own blood. What I'm saying to you is this. Get in and build up the church because Jesus loves it. If you're going to follow Jesus and claim him as your master, love the things he loves, hate the things he hates. Make sense? Simple. A five-year-old could get this. Not only does he love the church, it's his. He obtained it with his own blood. The opposite of this would be this. Abandoning the church or standing from afar and criticizing the church which many in this room may have been part of in their past, may be part of right now, although there doesn't seem to be a season of that in our church, but I've been around church a long time and I've seen this. Or you know of people who are doing this, standing from afar and criticizing the bride of Christ, tearing her down. Matthew 16, 18 is is a powerful verse for us all to know. Jesus says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is building up the church. Go and do likewise. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Through Ephesians, the body of Christ has been compared to the church. So I want you just, you're just getting the highlights of this. Now before moving on to any um, specifics about church membership, or before you should ever consider joining a church, you ought to understand what the church is. We ought to define the church. 
Uh, this mini two-week series had about a 32-week intro to it. You know what it was called? It was called our one series, where we walked through the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, I said over and over and over, it's written to the saints who are at Ephesus, right? It's written to the church. The first three chapters tell the bride of Christ who she is. Here's your identity. You're adopted. You were chosen. I mean, just go read Ephesians 1. You were blessed with every spiritual blessing. Remember this? And then 4 through 6 tells her how she should live, how she should walk, what she should do. Who she is precedes what she should do. That's how it is every time. Being regenerated into a new creature in Christ, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, always precedes doing. Otherwise, you lean on what you do, and you think that's how you get in good with God, instead of what Jesus did, and that's how you can function in a pleasing way to God. I'm getting fired up. Ephesians 4, 4, I'm just going to give you a highlight of the whole series. This is why we called it one. Ephesians 4, 4 says this, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That is a sweeping statement. That is a, we should just start church every week with that. That's huge, what what I just read. And that's the church we're talking about. Let me give you a few bullet points. You jot down what you feel you need to. The, The church is created by God. The church is essential to His mission on earth. The church is both the visible expression, or the, let me put it this way, the church is the visible expression of His invisible body. It's the visible, tangible way that we see Christ. The church is both universal, that would be worldwide, we sang God of all nations today. And to think that around the world today, in the appropriate time zone, there are people coming to worship the risen Jesus who's on the throne. It's a worldwide universal church, but it is also a local and tangible church. We sometimes refer to it this way. If you see church written with, the, with a capital C at the beginning of it, it's talking about the universal church. It's talking about the whole church of God. When you see it written in a small c, usually that means it's talking about a local expression like, like we are here. And praise God for that because it's hard to be connected to the whole world, right? But it's easy to feel connected to a local body. And it's brilliant that God designed it this way. You can be connected to both without the internet, without a car, without an education, without money, without a building. Are you kidding me? For all of time, who would have dreamt this up? God did. That's a powerful thought. The church is also both visible and invisible. Let me explain what that means. It's invisible in this sense. The only one who genuinely knows who's really a part of the church is God, right? It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are the ones in the know of who's really in the church. If I could give you a takeaway, here's what it would be. Your name being written in the book of life is far more important than your name being written on your church's membership register. Let me put membership in its proper place, okay? It is far more important that you're written in the Lamb's book of life That means that you're in the family of God. That means that you've been adopted in. That means that you're in God's forever family and nothing will ever change that. That is the truest part of you 
that exists. There's going to come a day. We were talking about this, uh, I think, in our men's group. There's going to come a day I won't be the pastor of Neighborhood Bible Church. There's going to come a day I won't be all these titles that I wear, but I will never stop being an adopted son of the Most High King. That's by far the most important thing. That's the invisible church I'm talking about. Jesus used a couple of metaphors to explain that within any local congregation, there will always be some who are a part of the invisible church and a part of the visible church. Here's what I, here's, let me explain. It's possible for you to dupe a church leadership and go through a membership process and be in and not be in. Okay? Here's how I know this is true. Jesus gave a couple of parables, one talking about weeds and wheat. He said in the same field are going to grow up both weeds and wheat. And at the end of the age, they're going to be separated. They're going to grow up together and they'll be separated. He also talks about sheep and goats. Remember that? And sheep and goats, he says there's going to come a day when the good shepherd, the great shepherd, is going to separate the sheep and the goats. One to reward, one to punishment. The reason I know that within a congregation, people can go through and look like they're in and be part of the visible church, maybe even do a lot of church stuff, maybe even be a deacon and not be saved, right? Is because of this. We read in Acts chapter 5. Actually, we read in Acts chapter 4, a guy by the name of Barnabas. There's such great things going on in the church. Barnabas goes and he just sells a field. There's persecution going on in the church. There might be persecution and famine coming for us, friends. And there's an exceptional amount of generosity and sharing and giving and coming together that happens. Barnabas goes and sells a field. Now, that may have been somewhat common, but it was, it was spectacular enough that it was written down and recorded for us. It was done completely out of goodwill. It was done to say, look, give this field to those who have need so that no one in our body will have need. That's powerful. That's generous. That's open-handed. That's godlike. The very next chapter, you know who goes and does the same thing? Who is it? Ananias and Sapphira. If you don't know the story, here's what they do. They come and say, hey, Barnabas got a lot of sweet kudos from that. He got some pats on the back. He's esteemed in our, in our community. Barnabas did it. He's a son of encouragement. Barnabas did it from a pure motive. Barnabas, I believe, is wheat. Barnabas is there just saying, look, the Lord gave freely. I'm going to give it freely. Take and use. I don't care what you guys do with it. What did he do? He came under organized church and gave it to the apostles' feet. Let them make the decision. Soon after, Ananias and Sapphira comes, does the same thing. But what do they do? They lie to the Holy Spirit, really. And it's interesting that it's phrased that way because they actually lied to the whole community. They came and say, hey, we too sold a field. Here's the money from it. But what did they do? They kept back a portion for themselves, right? One was done completely out of charity. One was done to look good in front of mankind. And God does something really powerful that shows his daily mercy to us. Ready for this? Right in front of the, the apostles, he strikes down dead, both of them, at separate times as they come and lie to the church community. I think God does that sometimes as a warning to the community to say, this is no joke. I read that as, as a church, as a person, as a part of a body, and I say, wow, he hasn't changed at all. He still feels that strongly about it. It's just his mercy and grace that he doesn't just strike us dead when we lie to him, when we go against his thing. That's a poison. That's the yeast of the Pharisees that will come in and affect the whole new community. So God said, you're done. Drag the bodies out. That's a whole other sermon, but, uh, but a good one. Finally, the church is made up of individual men and women. 
So when we talk about the body collectively, we're talking about individuals. When you say to someone, we have a weak church, we have a theologically strong church, we have a giving church, we have a serving anemic church, whatever it is, you know what you're saying if you're part of that church? You're saying, I am partly that. I am anemic in biblical knowledge. In general, we are that. You are part of it. Part of how I can tell people's heart even about NBC is this. A lot of times people will come with a complaint to the pastor and say, you this, you that, you this. You know what it is a little bit? It's a little bit of this. I come and I get benefits from you. You give me goods and services, but it's your issue. It's a whole different ball of wax when people come to me and they say, Dave, I have a concern about things. We, this, that, and the other thing. My ears light up and I go, wow, this is a person who understands they're a part of this family. And, and that's, a, that's a totally different mindset. So the, the church is made up of individual men and women. Here's, uh, here's a question you might be thinking. As you look at the church, by the way, and you read about the church in all her glory, it's easy to read Acts 2, by the way, the end of Acts 2, and glorify it like it's just, you know, the bright, shining church. And you look at that and you go, that's the church. And you hear it talked about in the scriptures. And then you look at your church. And you look at your friend's church. You look at your past churches. And there's a little bit of a lack of luster to it, right? You're like, man, where is that? Lest you idealize it and idolize it too much, read 1 Corinthians this afternoon. Read 2 Corinthians this afternoon. I have a hunch there were 3rd, 4th. There were others that weren't canonized in scripture These were the mess-ups of the churches that were planted. These were the screw-ups. They were taking communion, by the way, and basically shoving in to get the most food. They were doing things that covered the children's ears, were sexually heinous, that pagans would look at and go, that's disgusting. This was the new community of God. A lot of parts of the New Testament, I should say, a good chunk of the New Testament, actually, was written to untangle the mess that that church had gotten into. So before we read that and go, that's the ideal, I don't think we ever stop looking at the ideal, but I think we do uh, look to to strive for it. Look at this picture for a minute. As you think about um, the church, you see the ideal laid out in Scripture, and then you see the actual experience. Last week I said this, that the victory of the Christian is veiled much of the time. So is the glory of, of the bride of Christ. The glory of the bride of Christ is veiled on some level. We see the top picture, which is a biblical metaphor of the church. That's the vine. Uh, Jesus is the vine. We're the branches. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Maybe you look around and instead of seeing that top picture of grape clusters, you see, you see down below. And I hope that, I hope that 1 Corinthians 13.12 comes to mind. Now we see things imperfectly. Like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. Instead of a radiant bride, you might see imperfection and flaws. Instead of open-handed generosity in a church, you might see closed-handed stinginess. And instead of Christ-like community, we sometimes see infighting and gossip. Worse than at the office. 
Some of that is because 1 Corinthians is just true. There's a then and a now aspect, and sometimes our churches have a lot of the now and not a whole lot of the then going on in them. Some people leave the church because of this very reason. They leave the church because they've said this, and they might be speaking 100% truthfully. The church is full of hypocrites. The church is full of imperfect and needy people. Friends, let me turn this around on you and challenge you with this. I want you to join into a church because that's just the place for such people to be transformed. For the very reason that there are hypocrites and imperfect people and needy people. Open your Bibles right now to 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6 says this. Pick it up in verse 9. Doesn't God just love everybody? Don't we all just get in if we're good people? No. That's not how it goes. Does God love everybody? Yes. Does He offer the truth? Yes. Does He judge sin? Yes. Look at verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to this verse carefully. Verse 11. And such were some of you. Praise God for that verse. Such were some of you. You look at that list, it's not comprehensive, but you look at that list. Church members, he's writing to them. You in the church, you were some of those. And then look what it goes on to say. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Is the washing, the sanctifying, and the justifying your role in that? Is that active or is that passive? It's passive. You are not doing the washing. You are not doing the sanctifying. You are not the one justifying yourself. Praise God. That's why we sing with a giant smile on our face. That's why we can't stop beaming about the gospel. Such were some of you. Liars and hypocrites. Needy people. The worst of the worst. The sexually deviant. The greediest of the greedy. What does God do? He makes a church out of you. That is the coolest thing. That is the joyful thing to be excited about. That's what a church is. It's people who are regenerated by the saving blood of Jesus and now are transformed into new creations. That's the church. That's why we should never be shocked at someone coming and telling us their sin story. Because such were some of you but you were washed. You were transformed. Question is then asked this, is the church still necessary? Doesn't God indwell us just the same? John Stott, a giant in Christian thinking over my lifetime and before, in his book, The Living Church, said this, I trust that none of my readers is that grotesque anomaly an unchurched Christian. The New Testament knows nothing of such a person, for the church lies at the very center of the eternal purposes of God. Now, this should be a non-shocking, non-controversial statement. 
that a Christian ought to be a part of a church. For centuries, this was just given, but it's under attack right now in a big way. Church planning is a hot thing to do. A lot of people want to plan a church. I can tell in a few minutes of talking to someone, not because I have some great sense of discernment, but because I've read my Bible, whether this is going to be a historically faithful, biblically faithful church. Sometimes people want to plan a church. I go, why do you want to plan a church? Well, I want to plan a church because of X, Y, Z. Cool. What does it mean to be a church? And in a couple of minutes, you can hear people's story and go, yeah, that seems like that's, that's what a church is. Um, what you described, that's, that's a wakeboarding club. You know, uh, being out on the boat, talking about God and being spiritual. Um, that's what a Christian does on Saturday. <laughs> you know, that's, that's fun. That's really, really cool. Um, but that's not a church. You know, what you're doing, just because you have candles and you meet in an old church building, that's not really church. The church has been defined for us. So, so let's, let's look at that. Let me just say this. Um, I was going to go into a long list about what the church is not, uh, and I could list things like this. It's not a building, it's not a business, and it's not undefined. It's not just open interpretation for us. But instead, let me just say this. There are a ton of books being published right, not, right now on how to do community more organically and do community more authentically and do community, do community. There's also an equally large number of churches, I mean, of books being published calling people out of the church, saying that the church is broken, saying that if you want to find God, leave the church. I've come across many people that I've sat down and had coffee with and talked with, and there's been some hard conversations. My sense is this. So many people are more interested in reading about community, writing about community, discussing community, than actually getting in and living in community. Living in community is very unglamorous. Yesterday, I, I did a, a ceremony for a wedding, and it was a great time. And many people come to me at a wedding when I do that. And most of the time, simply because I'm preaching basic biblical truth about what God has to say about marriage, they say, wow, that was so much more deep than most marriages I go to, most, most weddings I attend, whatever. And uh, what church do you go to? And wow, that sounds fantastic. And it all sounds glitzy and glamorous because they don't go to our church. That's just the truth of it, really. And I tell them, I said, where do you live? Where, where you live, I would venture to guess, there is, a, there is a biblically faithful church that is preaching God's word. Find it and get in and do it. When your pastor goes and does um, a wedding for, for my congregation members, they'd go, man, you're so accurate and you're so funny and you're so whatever, and you actually speak God's truth. And I said, they'll say the same thing that you're saying about me. It just, that's how it works. There's a glitz and glamour to someone out there writing a book. Yeah, that's how it ought to be. Rather than getting in, rolling up your sleeves, and just, and just doing it. And doing life together. That's what a church is. I've gotten the opportunity a little bit in my lifetime, and most recently in June, to travel to where the church cannot readily, openly meet the way we do. And you know what they're hungry for? They are hungry for this right here. Where the church is persecuted and cannot come together openly to break bread, to celebrate communion, to hear the word of God preached, to worship, to mutually encourage, to consider how to stir one another up, and to meet faithfully. You know what they long for? Church! Man, if we could just get together and do that. You guys are so fortunate in the U.S. And I go, man, you wouldn't believe the mindset of some Christians in the U.S. Here's what they say sometimes. I have to go to church. And it boggles the minds of Christians in other parts of the world that are persecuted that can't do what we're doing. That ought to tell us something and be instructive. 
Charles Colson, in the book Being the Body, says this, As has been said, the church of Jesus Christ would be like Noah's ark. The stench inside would be unbearable if it weren't for the storm outside. You know what? Sometimes the stench in here is terrible. And I'm not talking about your body odor or my body odor. I'm just talking about sin. Stuff that we bring in. Junk that we bring in. The way we treat one another. And the church is broken in that sense. Praise God that He's got His Spirit here in our midst and He's building us up into His image. I want you to look. We're going to wrap up with this. Ben, come on up. I want you to look at a definition of the local church. It's kind of long, so I wrote it for you in your, in your notes. I got this from Vintage Church, by the way, co-written by Jerry Brashears and uh, Mark Driscoll. Honestly, it's Acts 2. It's Acts 2. We, we see every one of these elements right here in Acts 2. The, a local church is a community of regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord in obedience to Scripture. They, are organizing, they organize under qualified leadership, gather regularly for preaching and worship, observe the biblical sacraments of baptism and, and communion, are unified by the Spirit, are disciplined for holiness, and scattered to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission as missionaries to the world for God's glory and their joy. At NBC, here's how this looks. We've organized around this idea of worship and community and share. It's a simplified way of taking the great commandment, the great commission, and meshing it into uh, a metaphor that we can work with. We have a saying here often that we say, come as you are, but don't stay that way. What that means, we welcome all visitors. I pray that every single Sunday we have people in our church who do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. I hope they are here listening. I hope they are here being challenged by God's Word. I hope it's raising questions in you if you're sitting in here and you've never made a profession of faith. You've never trusted the Lord. You're not in Christ. Today, we're gathered. We're preaching the Word of God. We're celebrating communion. This week, community groups, men's groups, women's groups, young couples groups are going to gather in homes for mutual encouragement, unified by the Spirit, gathered around the Word uh, of God, breaking bread together. There's a women's retreat coming up. There's a camping trip coming up Labor Day. These are opportunities for us to share life and do life together in the midst of a Silicon Valley uh, isolating individual pull. This is our response to that. No, we're not going to do that. There is a spirit of unity. Holiness is encouraged. Next month, rather than a separate announcement time, let me just announce it right now. You'll see a banner on your way out the, uh, this, this morning uh, called a neighborhood workabout. This is about our third one. We do this twice a year. It's just an ongoing drumbeat. What it is, is it's us being outward focused. It's us just doing good work so they might see our Father in heaven, and glorify Him. It's doing the gospel as well as preaching the gospel. We have right now a need. That's our church on a Google map, okay? It's a big church in, in the Google map. <laughs> Covers like a whole mile square radius. We can dream. Um, what we've done is this. We have had some neighborhood workabouts where we've gone out to the community and said, we want to come and bless you and serve you. And once we're done, we want to invite you back to a meal here. What we discovered was this. We were getting about a a 0.8% return on people coming back to the church. That seemed like a big step for them. So instead we said, let's centralize coming together for prayer, for assignments, and for going out. But let's decentralize the meal. Let's just have a home in that neighborhood, open it up for a barbecue. That way it's just neighbors inviting neighbors, and we get to be in that neighborhood. So the first of these is Rich Henderson. He lives right around here. His house is huge. 
Um, he's, he's got that area covered, okay? There are some needs already trickling in from that neighborhood. After the workabout goes on from 9 to noon on that Saturday, um, September 17th, um, they're going to meet back at Rich's house for a barbecue. Guess what's going to happen? An extension of our church is going to be happening at that barbecue. You're going to have an opportunity to meet people in the neighborhood and community and just be a blessing to them. Just get to know them. They went from being unknown to being known. And, by the way, you cleaned up their house, you cleaned up their car, you did something for them in the process. In the name of Jesus. What we need, Rich can't possibly feed everyone in Silicon Valley, so what we need is this. We need about three more circles to be covered around our neighborhood. You find your place on that map. You look at where you live, and I want you to come and talk to me after the church, or Naomi, raise your hand. Naomi is the Craigslist of our neighborhood workabouts. Um, you talk to Naomi, or you talk to me, and you say, Dave, I'm, I live in this neighborhood. I want to be a giant gray uh, circle, and I'll know what that means. Um, but we need other areas covered for a few other barbecues on that day to just do this. This is the church. Let me tell you what is missing from our church. What's missing from our church is formalizing membership, and that's what we're, that's what we're beginning to pursue, and we're super excited about it. We want to bring you along with it. Let me pray, and we're going to uh, uh, read a short passage and then go into communion. Father, I thank you that you have not left us wondering and wandering, God, you've instructed us. I, I continue to marvel at the ways you instruct me in things I didn't think you spoke to at all. I pray, Lord, for the hearts and minds of my friends here uh, listening this morning that you would clear all of our minds from our past experience, from our past hurts, from what we thought we knew. Let us be informed biblically about what you desire for being a part of a local body, for putting a stake in the ground and saying, this is my family. This is who I'm choosing to go through the Christian life with. This is who I'm committing to and striving for and sacrificing for. God, would you free us from a mindset that says, what does it cost me? And what do I get from membership? Would you let us enter into membership, not out of duty, but out of love for you, God? Out of what can we give? What might my membership there be a blessing to someone else? God, free us from the tyranny of always wanting to please and make ourselves comfortable. In Jesus' name, amen.